thank you for having me. It truly is an honor to be here and to share with you uh, this morning. I'm excited to uh, share God's word with you in like faith and like confession, especially. And I'm, I'm blessed to know your pastor, Antonio and Isaiah. Uh, they've been a big encouragement uh, to me. A quick history uh, about our church in Santa Clarita. We officially opened our doors in September uh, a couple years ago, in September of 2017. And, or excuse me, 16. And um, we are a real small congregation, and uh, we are the only uh, confessional Baptist church in our area. Uh, the nearest one to us is probably Pastor Barcellus, which you may know in Palmdale, and then uh, further south down the road to La Mirada, and I know you know uh, Pastor Renahan and the folks at Trinity Reformed Baptist Church. So, uh, we sit nestled there in Santa Clarita, and it, it's been uh, uh, much anticipation for me to come and share with you this morning, and I thank you for having me. I want to start um, my time this morning by reading our confession, uh, because we are going to be talking about the idea of sanctification or this doctrine of sanctification. I want to read for us paragraph 1 of chapter 13. Uh, Those who are united to Christ, effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, are also farther sanctified, really and personally, through the same virtue, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of all true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. My intention this morning in sharing with you this idea of union with Christ in relationship to our sanctification is what I want to do is I want to target uh, three three Christians here this morning. The first one is I want those that are here that are weak and wearied by their walk with the Lord. Maybe it's a season of life that you've entered in and and you find a little bit you found yourself a little bit downtrodden. Uh, your time in the Word may be lacking. Maybe you find yourself a little lack of love even for your Lord, and it's hard to get here on an evening evening like this or on a Sunday morning. Um, to you, I. I my goal is that you would be encouraged and strengthened this morning. I also want to warn, as I see we're here on a Sunday evening, not many churches participate on the Lord's Day in the evening time, and you're here this morning, and I want to warn those that are proud of heart, those that find themselves establishing their righteousness this morning by attending an evening service to the Lord. And to you, I want to warn you and bring you back in to the grace of our Lord. Also, I want to encourage the one who sees his every need fulfilled in Christ. Those of us here that uh, understand that apart from Christ, we are lost. I find I, I hope that this message finds much encouragement, that you find much encouragement in it. And um, I know it's not done here, but I've come to preach the gospel where many preach the law. When it comes to sanctification, 
I find that there are many pastors that turn quickly away from the gospel as if that was a great starting point to our salvation. And then they turn again back to the law. So I want to spend our time this evening examining the relationship between our union with Christ and our sanctification. If you'll permit me, I'd like to give a little bit of the lay of the land, at least as I see it this morning or this evening, excuse me, um, in regards to this doctrine of sanctification and especially in relationship to our union with Christ. Uh, Nick, Nick Batzig, a Presbyterian minister in Georgia, points out that a hundred years ago, Gerhardus Voss, who's a Reformed theologian from the early 1900s, labeled the better part of preaching in American pulpits neo-Romanism. It's a moral legalism that rids itself of the doctrine of justification and the reality of eternal punishment in favor of that which speaks only of the reformation of man. See, what Voss exposed in the 1900s has only come into more prominence today. What Voss didn't yet see or he was not yet accustomed to because it had not yet come around is what's happening in our day. It's known as the Reformed Resurgence. Uh, it, it dates back a few decades, uh, uh, definitely before my time, but people uh, in prominent pulpits have come to know or rediscover the doctrines of grace or Calvinism. This resurgent has much to be applauded and many a prominent pastor bears the label Calvinist without shame. But not all have adopted the full effect of Reformed doctrine. They've adopted justification by faith, but as I've said, they still pursue sanctification by law. But not uh, many are happy to affirm justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. But what has been missing is sanctification by the same. Because they have not come around to a full understanding of Reformed theology, they are prone to justification by faith and sanctification by law. They make sanctification merely the reformation of man. So in order to keep from returning to the flesh to be perfected, as Paul so aptly put it in Galatians 3, we must understand this doctrine of our union with Christ. If you have your Bibles, please open them with me to John chapter 15. I'm going to read for us the first 11 verses. We will spend our time this morning in verses 4 and 5, but it will be helpful for us to read John 15, 1 through 11 to begin this evening. This is the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. If you would, bow your heads with me. Lord, we come before your word this evening. We recognize that apart from the act of your spirit, we find ourselves distracted and we find ourselves at a loss for what the meaning is. So Lord, we ask that your spirit would illumine your truth to us, that we would rest in in the righteousness found in Christ and that we pray this in him and his name alone. Amen. Well, uh, a lot of what I have to say this morning is uh, to the credit of a of another pastor. His name is J.V. Fesco, and he wrote a, a couple small books and some very helpful articles on union with Christ. As a church, we went, we're going through the two of the smaller books, uh, A Pocket Guide to Growing in Holiness on the Doctrine of Sanctification, and then what we've decided is its companion book is The Fruit of the Spirit Is. And I've found him very helpful when it comes to understanding our sanctification in relationship to our union with Christ. He says in one of his articles, he says, one of the most breathtaking passages of Scripture appears in the opening of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, where the apostle literally starts at every beginning when he writes, In love, he, that is God, predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus. As Paul unfolds all of the blessings that believers receive, he anchors salvation in Christ with the repetition of a phrase, in him. Paul writes, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, to unite all things in him. In him we have attained an inheritance, In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul repeats the refrain in him, which points us to the doctrine of the union with Christ. The question, though, we want to start our time this morning or continue our time this morning is what exactly is the is union with Christ? Uh, It's actually a very broad topic. It's one that one theologian says extends all the way from eternity to eternity. Now, we don't have yet eternity to speak on the union with Christ. One day we will, and we will uh, dine together at the Supper of the Lamb, and it will be great to talk about our unity then from eternity to eternity. But from now, we will focus on our union with Christ now, in our time as we experience now. But we want to consider uh, the two other aspects of our union with Christ just in short. First, in eternity past. Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In eternity past, we were in Christ in the mind of God. We understand the doctrine of election uh, comes as a great comfort to us, that Christ foreknew us, he foreloved us, but he didn't forelove us in looking down the annuals of time, he foreloved us in the Son, 
in Christ. And then in eternity future, Colossians 3, 4 helps us. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In eternity future, the doctrine of our union with Christ is a comfort and an assurance to us because when Christ, who is our life, who are we united with in life appears, we also will appear with him in glory. You see, there's, there's not a, an exception there. There's not a clause to say, unless your sanctification is not complete. There's not something that says, unless we look back, in, unless God looks back and sees that your justification is verified in your sanctification. Because when we speak of God and we speak of Him in eternity, we speak of past tense. Because in God, all things are complete. And because it is our subject this evening, it should come as no surprise that we have union with Christ now. And it is the basis of what uh, is known as the twin benefits of Christ, our justification and our sanctification. And this is brought to light in our passage this morning, in, or excuse me, this evening in John 15, specifically in verses 4 and 5. It says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What Christ is speaking of here is union with him. And it's referred to as abiding in Christ. And it is a present reality for those that have been made clean by his word. So moreover, if Christians abide in Christ, they will bear much fruit. They will produce good works. We don't see here that uh, a, a fruitless branch, a fruitless branch is, is not known to the one that is engrafted into the vine of Christ, the one that is pruned by the divine vine dresser. We may not be able to talk about the vine dresser too much this evening, but we must understand we are abiding in Christ as he is the vine, but there's also the aspect as the father is the vine dresser who walks among his, his vines and he prunes us to produce more fruit. Those who abide in Christ. You see, our sanctification is rooted not in humanity, and our achievement of holiness or sanctification, but in what God has done in Christ and for us in union with Him. Do you want to grow in true holiness? You need to stop looking at yourself in the context of your own progress and start looking at your life in the context of God's redemptive activity. It is God who works in you. It is God that has begun a good work and He will finish it. So many people think that their sanctification, their spiritual transformation and confirmation to the holy image of Christ is simply a matter of trying harder, of pulling as hard as they can on their moral bootstraps and resolving to be holier. But God's Word 
is better. It is more comforting and more sure. If my sanctification relied on myself, I'm lost where I stand. But if my sanctification is rooted in union with the one who has gone before, with the one who has completed all things, with the one whose righteousness satisfies the holiness of God, then I am comforted and I am assured of my destination. We must understand our sanctification in relationship to our union with Christ. Our union with Christ is the the foundation upon which our sanctification grows. When we are down in our walk and we find ourselves maybe lost and we're unsure of the direction to go, we don't go and adopt five principles of spiritual disciplines. We don't go and adopt somebody else's law. We go into God's word and remind ourselves of our justification. We remind ourselves of words like Romans chapter 8. For now, there is no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If we are in Christ Jesus, there is now no more condemnation. You cannot add to Christ's righteousness. You can, uh, your will becomes in tune with the will of the Spirit in which he applies Christ's righteousness to your life. And what is the means by which this happens? Is it praying more? Is it reading more? Is it meditating more? Is it, I don't know, standing on your head more for God? No. Brothers and sisters, it's what we're doing this evening. It's what you did this morning. It's attending to the means of grace. Within the means of grace, we have the promise of the blessing of Christ. You want to grow in the Lord? Attend his worship service. Gather with his people. Partake of the supper. Certainly we hold, we don't hold as the Catholics do, that there is uh, efficacious means of the supper apart from faith in the believer. But be sure, if true faith abides in you as you are abiding in Christ then as you partake of the meal, you are nourished in your soul by Christ. And we can be assured of that. I want to spend the rest of my time speaking to those categories of Christians that I mentioned at the beginning. For the weak and wearied. Listen to what uh, another older theologian says, Francis Turton. He says, although the saints on account of the grievous sins into which they slip, deserve exclusion from the kingdom of heaven and the abrogation of their justification and adoption, still it happens by the mercy of God that on this account, neither their right to the kingdom of heaven is taken away, nor justification or adoption recalled, nor their state of regeneration effectively destroyed. The right to the kingdom is not founded upon our actions, but on the graciousness and the gracious adoption of God and our indissolvable union with Christ. Those that have been grafted in are those that are in union with Christ. An indissolvable union because it's not based on us. It's based on Christ. We put our faith in 
works completed. We don't put our faith in works to be done. We don't put our faith in ourselves. Often when we're weak and we're wearied by this pilgrim life, it's because we had found ourselves in what John Bunyan calls bypath meadow, where we relied on our own senses. We relied on our own faculties to sanctify us. And that is enough to weak and weary any saint of the Lord. For as we carry on that, or take upon us again that burden of law that we laid at the foot of the cross, we find that it is a heavy burden. It weighs us down and it drags us down into the muck and mire. We need only to look back to the reality and the truth of our justification to be encouraged that in our justification, we are indissolubly united with Christ. That Christ's life is our life. You see, Christ is not an example where we just say, what would Jesus do? And we do what Christ did. No, that's, that's not how we look at it. What would Jesus do is is the wrong way. Jesus had a different mission than you and I. Jesus came to establish the church. Jesus came to live a perfect life, to to live, to be born under the law and accomplish what the law could never accomplish. For us, we may ask, what would Jesus have us do? But we look to Christ not only, not merely as an example. We look to Christ as the exemplar, the one who went before us, the one who perfectly walked, not to prove a point, but to secure for us an eternal inheritance. See, Christ's life is our life, and Christ's death is our death. When Christ died, we died. Romans tells us, and we'll read in a little bit, that In Christ's death, we died and we died to sin. And we know and we put our hope in Christ's resurrection. That in Christ's resurrection, we are assured of our resurrection. So weak and wearied pilgrim, look no longer at yourself for the mode and the way of justification. Look unto Christ. Look unto the means of grace that He has provided. And He as the vine and the Father as the good vine dresser will bring fruit back into your life. Maybe you're here and you find yourself thinking, I'm sure glad that's not me. I'm glad I'm not like those that aren't here this evening. The drunkard or the immoral or or whatever person you have in your mind, a liar and slanderer. This is for the one who is happy with their progress, with the one who has weighed themselves and they find themselves satisfied. Brother or sister, take into mind this question. Have you added, or do you think that you've added to the righteousness of Christ? Do you think you add to the righteousness of our perfect Savior? If you do, you find yourself 
living under the law. You find yourself asking from the law what it can never give, and that's righteousness. We must go to Christ in faith. Question 60 of the Heidelberg Catechism asks, how are you righteous before God? The Catechism then gives a very reassuring answer. Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. That is, though my conscience accuse me that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God and kept none of them and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of mine, of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never had had nor committed any sin, and myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept such benefit with a believing heart. We know that in our justification, there's that idea of the great exchange where all of our unrighteousness this morning in our in the sermon in uh, down to Santa Clarita, we talked about our the petition in the Lord's Prayer where it says, "Forgive us our debts." We see sin as a debt, a debt that we cannot pay. I mentioned that in the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew eighteen. There's uh, this guy owes a debt to a king. And in today's money, that was $10 billion. And uh, and that king forgives him after he pleads to, on the mercy of that king. He forgives him. The king forgives him of that debt. And what does that servant do? He turns around to one that owes him money, who owes him $20,000. And he beats him and throws him in jail and seeks to accuse him of it. And then the master returns to the unforgiving servant. And he says, you will go to jail. You will go and be with the jailers or the torturers until you have paid back your debt. That unforgiving servant proved himself to be unforgiven because he would not forgive. He, he did understand what he was, that he was forgiven much. For us that are proud, for us that are haughty, it is because we think much of ourselves and little of sin. We think sin is a, a misstep or a trip. You know, we often think about uh, the com- most common definition of sin is, is the archery one and we miss the mark. And you know what? There was a time when I thought, you know what? If I just miss the mark, that's not too bad. I mean, I'm on paper, right? Brothers and sisters, I couldn't even pull back the bowstring to make a proper attempt. We are so depraved and lost in our, in our nature. We must come to Christ humbly. Come to Him with a believing heart, receiving that twin benefit of justification and sanctification. That in, in our union with Christ, we receive all the blessings of salvation. You know, I had a, um, 
it's not the best place to have conversations, but I had a conversation, if you can call it that, on the internet not too long ago. And it had to do with the means of grace, and it had to do with somebody encouraging people not to attend church if they felt so inclined to, if they were too sad on that day, and just go and be alone with God, you and your Bible. And I posted what I thought would be an uncontroversial idea, but that is unhelpful advice. And we are turning people away from the very means by which that person's hurting and uh, trial and uh, testing would be made profitable to them. We turn them away from that when we turn them away from the means of grace. And so I posted that. I had some people disagree with me pretty, pretty strongly. And after thinking about it a little bit more, I could, I could, I think by God's grace, see where they had it wrong. You see, they had an understanding of justification. Justification comes by faith alone. But they had misconstrued salvation to only be justification. That if we are justified, then we are saved. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this evening that if we are justified, we will be saved. Salvation is the saving from sin, the being saved from the penalty of sin, being saved now by, from the power of sin, and then being saved in the future by the presence of sin. And we partake, participate that through our union with Christ. So that it would be natural if I had no idea of my union with Christ and the means of my sanctification, then I can do away with all the institution of the Lord's day and of the gathering of the saints and of the means of grace because I have this some flimsy idea of justification by faith. But those whom he justified are the ones he will sanctify. And those whom he sanctifies are the ones that he will glorify. So we must turn from our pride. We must understand these twin benefits of justification and sanctification as we are united with Christ. For those of us, or those of you that fight the good fight and are a place in their current state solely in faith in Christ and his work, you find yourself thinking about your union with Christ and you find yourself grateful to the Lord for his saving act in your life, returning once again uh, to the fellowship of the saints weekly, participating in the means of grace. I want to encourage you this evening out of Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried Therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let us watch ourselves as we find ourselves trusting in the Lord. Continue to watch ourselves that we continue in that trust. Understanding that the spirit that rose Christ from the dead is the spirit that's been given to us that will carry us along to the end. Continuing in verse 5, For if you have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, we too read the word of the Lord in our liturgy. And right now our New Testament reading is in the book of Romans. And this epistle that Paul wrote is such an encouragement every morning. And it just so happens that the New Testament reading comes pretty close before I get up and speak. And I'm always humbled at the preaching of Paul, at the preaching of the Spirit through Paul to think that I have anything to say beyond what we just read. And I'm thankful to the Lord that uh, he provides the words in those moments, but I find myself completely inept in comparison. In other words, in our union with Christ, we receive not only the benefit of justification, but we also have the benefit of sanctification. In closing, I want to quote to you again Jay Fesco. He says, However, one thing that should be clear is that Jesus clearly tells us that the only way we will produce fruit is if we abide in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We must realize that we must not live for life We must not live for life, but from it. We have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Christians have the great assurance that when we are united to Christ by faith, we receive the whole Christ and all the benefits of redemption, not just some of them. Would you permit me to pray for you?